Morita. Mr. Pat Morita. Oh, yeah. Lenny Bruce's mother named him Hip Nip, but he hung on because now all of a sudden he had an angle. He would tend to do the same show over again, <laughs> and then he couldn't figure out why he wasn't getting laughs. I don't think he paid much attention to the rules of the game. You know, he kind of did what he wanted to do. He really embraced the things that many of us run away from. He, he ran to it. He opened for Victor Moan, Connie Stevens, and uh, Red Fox, who put him on his show. He was just a lovely, lovely man. Pat went on and became a huge star. And he created one of the iconic characters in American cinema. One thing I learned with comics is they were actually some of the most unhappy, tortured people, and their comedy comes from pain. I mean, he was in a cast for like nine years, from his knees to like his neck for his childhood. The day he gets out, he walks into a war. He had a lot of inner demons. He struggled a lot with depression, and he was drinking too much. I think he was doing too much drugs. He was drinking so much that I went to the line producer and said, I'm scared to death he's going to fall off a cliff. And he was stumbling, and, and he fell flat on his face. That was when it really, really hit home, and he realized, I've got a big problem. That entire chapter of my life changed me forever all right all right yeah uh you guys want to start the show let's start the show Welcome to Saturday Morning Serial, which is the show where we talk all about those themes of Saturday morning TV that we grew up with. And, well, once we look around, turns out they grew up with us. Mm -hmm. In other words, we're the show that puts the wax on and then takes the wax off. Uh, I'll be your uh, intimate waxer, Dan Shea. My friends call me Grim. The ladies call me sometimes. Uh, I'm also going to be joined by my co-host, as always, speak out from across the internet, Marquee. Let us know you're here. Hey, now. Yep, that's Marquee. I can authenticate that. I need more information about our other co-host, Jimmy the Gent Lazinski. Are you there? Answer affirmative, Batman. Hmm. <laughs> Might be an imposter. Hard to tell. Doesn't matter. Because I don't care who you are. I'm ready to talk. I'm ready to talk about uh, this little story that a lot of us, especially our generation, grew up with. Uh, it, it it was told a lot in the 80s about uh, a, a young hero coming from, from all the way out in New Jersey, moving to California, facing adversity, uh, uh, finding a mentor, 
uh, growing up uh, and, and meeting his challenges head on with training, determination, the skills of karate, uh, the wisdom of a dojo sensei, and maybe a crane kick or two. Ah. Uh, you probably know him because for the next 15 years, I was called Daniel-san. <laughs> so it made an impact for me yeah. personally. I'm talking about the Karate Kid. Of course you and, are. Hey, if you're not our generation, I'm talking about Cobra Kai. Boom. Exactly. I think that pretty well covers it. Holy crap. Did we just find a direct line to our childhood and mop modern pop culture? Yeah, we did. We did it again. That's what we excel yep. at. Yeah. it's This is the so perfect... Cobra Kai, you all know, we've done shows about it before, so you know it's in our wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. But if you're not familiar with it, it is exactly the story of of the Karate Kid, up, not updated, not rebooted, simply continued yeah. in the next generation. They're not the kids, they're the parents. They're not the students, they're the senseis. It's so much fun. It swept the nation. Now it's finally on Netflix instead of uh, that defunct YouTube Red. <laughs> yeah. So finally everyone's seen it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, and there is only one thing. And re- and the Karate Kid fans know this more than anyone else. Even though season three, the character was kind of there. Yeah, I, I know where you're going. Even with this. if yep. he had no lines, you know I'm talking about Mr. Miyagi. Mr. Miyagi, it's a cultural fan. Mr. Miyagi, played by, uh, of course, Mr. Pat Morita, mm-hmm. and we'll talk more about uh, him as the actor soon, uh, especially because there's a whole movie about him. Uh, this documentary that just came out called uh, More Than Miyagi, the Pat Morita story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we talked to the uh, director and producer of that. And you'll learn a lot about Pat Morita there. But before we get into that, Mr. Miyagi, mm. wax on, wax off. Help Daniel to either redeem himself or terrorize a local neighborhood, depending on your interpretation. Ah. <laughs> uh, I always thought was a purely fictional character. Always. I mean, since the day I was born, up until like a production <laughs> meeting we had recently, where Marky, I'm going to throw it to you here, apparently, it's not so much that he's based on a real character, but there's a real Miyagi in history. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can explain that to me. Well, yeah, uh, I think a lot of these writers, you know, they're going to go through and, you know, they're going to, like, okay, so... The story of Miyagi and Daniel-san, that is all fictional. <laughs> okay, so if we're not... I'm not suggesting that any part of that is real at all. The story... Any relation to real events are purely yes, coincidental. Purely, Legally, purely everyone's coincidental. covered. Yes. Um, and, uh, but a lot of the names um, that they use draw from real people, uh, real history... And yes, Miyagi, the you know the actual name Miyagi, uh, is uh, was taken from. Uh, and I pardon if I butcher the pronunciation of some of these names, uh, but I would say it's Shojun Miyagi, um, and uh, he founded the uh, Goju Ryu style of. Japanese karate, which is the hard, soft style. This is from Okinawa. Um, and he learned from the guys that brought it over, you know, from the 18th century, from the 19th century. You know, there's like this lineage 
But that, that specific style of karate was created by Miyagi, by a guy by, you know, by a guy named Miyagi. And it is basically the lineage of that style of karate is modern karate today. So it, it goes back, you know, it goes back to the 18th century, you know, starts in China. It gets brought, it gets brought to Japan through Okinawa, just like the story of the Karate Kid tells you. It gets, it gets modernized and, and created uh, by a guy by the name of Miyagi. And throughout this, you know, throughout my wiki reading, which I'm not going to do for you now, uh, I, I found out that <laughs> this is a yeah, wiki synthesis. Yeah, this is we yeah. appreciate that. <laughs> But you know, even um, Miyagi's childhood friend, who also learned Miyagi karate from Karate Kid Two, that was Sato. You know, there was a king in China by the name of Sato, and uh, um, uh, Sato, there's also a Chosen, which is Chosen was his rival and was the Daniel's rival in Karate Kid 2. You saw him in Cobra Kai season three when he went back to Okinawa. Chosen, that that name also pops up in my in my research here as well. So what they what they did was that they they kind of created a myth of karate using names that are familiar in the history to create this real mythos and this world of karate that we see today in Cobra Kai, where the big conceit of that show is that it's a comic book, basically, coming to life, where everybody in this town just loves karate it's the yeah. biggest deal in town, and there's big fights, and there's doesn't seem to be any real consequences. <laughs> Karate's big in the valley. Yeah, yeah, and you know it's um, it's a real brilliant turn that those writers did really early in kind of creating this kind of myth, and it all centers around the character of Miyagi, which was personified, and just I mean it was just one of the most amazing characters yeah. in my, you know, in my early movie watching was Miyagi. It was so yeah, important. Culturally. To me. I think we all took from, from the karate kid, Danielson and Miyagi. Yeah. And you don't quote Danielson because he was an idiot. Yeah. He was the student. He, yeah. He didn't so know anything. everybody was running around like, you know, like one of the biggest compliments throughout the nineties or something you could do you could give someone in a, like a intelligent or leadership capacity was like, Oh, that guy was totally my Mr. Miyagi. Yeah. Yep. Like it became a, you know, a, 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 a foot, a, 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 I'm, I'm struggling to find the name. It, uh, it became a, a shorthand yeah. for mentor, for leader, for sensei, for sensei. <laughs> All right. It just became the word sensei in English, I guess. And like if. Or master in Sith. There's, there's plenty of examples in history. If but you, Miyagi was, for our generation, he said, oh, that's, that's the Mr. Miyagi of X, Y, or Z. If you take yourself back to that era, you know, we're talking early 80s. Uh, you know, we are just kids. Jimmy's a little older than us, but I'm sure he kind of felt the same thing, like around that same age. Like one of the. 
one of the fantasies of being a kid back then, especially if you were bullied or teased or whatever, um, but it's that you could meet. Because remember, ninjas were big back then. <laughs> you know, we used to buy Chinese stars at the flea markets, you know, and our parents yeah. let us. Um, were you telling me off, Mike, that they used to call you Michael Dudikoff in they, high school? They never <laughs> called me Michael Dudikoff, so much. not to my face. Marky Dudikoff with his stars again. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, here we go. His but, parents no, had to drive to done. school the last four years. The best thing in the world, like, our, like a fantasy was that we would meet that old Japanese wise man that would teach you karate. Oh, yeah. Yeah, As a kid, I think I was a little confused, but I would walk up to any older man of color, (laughs) assuming they could lead me to a a higher path. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's what they tapped into. And that's the character we got. And it's uh, um, it was it really kind of took over the culture there. I mean, they there was even I don't know if you guys remember this and maybe we've talked about this before. We you know. But I'm going to always try to bring it back to Saturday morning. There was a The Karate Kid cartoon that was on Saturday mornings. Do you guys remember this show? That's that's true, and you cannot erase that fact from reality. (laughs) There always will have been a Karate Kid cartoon on Saturday mornings. And I don't, you know, I actually didn't even think to go and uh, look for any, uh, although I'm sure I'll dig up a... A theme song here pretty soon. Yeah, uh, but, we but, just might be hearing yeah, it yeah. after the interview. <laughs> but if I remember correctly, like Pat Morita would do like this live action intro every episode. And again, I this this is my memory. I'm not Bill 100%. Cosby, Fat Albert style. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then they would go on these adventures, and they were really you know superhero-y. You know, they would be jumping out of helicopters, and they would. You know, be fighting the forces of evil, and it was, yeah. it was, it, it adhered to the Saturday morning uh, cartoon laws, yeah, much more than the Karate Kid, uh, Karate in the Valley laws that the movie and the show set out. Yeah, yeah, and he had action figures and and all of that back in the eighties. You know, like this was, it was a real cultural moment, uh, and. The the idea of Miyagi still lingers today. Like it, it's it's a part of Cobra Kai. A lot of season three was dealing with that, and where I think season four is going, you know, uh, spoiler alert, <laughs> anybody? Well, speculation uh, alert. Speculation <laughs> alert. Yeah, is that you know they're going to be By you know AMC. it's it's going to finally come down to Miyagi Do versus Cobra Kai, um, and. This is for all the marvels. This is for all the valley. And um, it doesn't happen without a lot of reference to Miyagi. Yeah. And he's he well, he's important to the story in the sense that he was one of the basic building blocks. uh, And yet Daniel LaRusso has no reason to be doing what he's doing without him. Mm -hmm. Uh, So in that sense, he's an absence on the show. Uh, But he has not been an absence in culture by any means. Right. You know what I mean? Like, uh, let me see, you know, paint the fence. Uh, Marky, real quick, show me paint the fence. <laughs> well, you just, it's up, down. Yeah. For, up, for our viewers, down. I just saw on the uh, Skype screen, he immediately, instinctively, like hardwired, started doing basic karate defense moves. <laughs> Yeah. We all actually learned some honest to God karate yeah. from Mr. Miyagi. Yeah. 
I mean, I assume it is. I've never competed in the All Valley Tournament, but I like to feel I could. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think we're all a little better at I'm karate. I'm a little heavier now. Yeah, we're all a little better at karate just having watched the Karate Kid movie. <laughs> a little bit, you know? I think it's just kind of natural. Uh, yeah. Now, I, you, you know, did and, mention uh, that Jimmy is a little bit older than us, right. so maybe our idolation is more based on the fact that we were younger and perhaps even being bullied a little bit then. Jimmy, I'm guessing you might have been high school when this came out. Yes. A little more settled socially. What kind of impact did the Karate Kid movie have on you? Were you quoting it later on, a couple years well, later? Oh, yeah. I still quote it to this day. Um, I mean, everybody was at school the next day doing that kick. You know, everybody's standing in the hallway. You know, you're trying to <laughs> walk down the hallway and trying kick. to kick your hat off. <laughs> <laughs> Just like you see in all the movies, right? And uh, and then, yeah, and of course, everybody quoted it then. Everybody still quotes it now. Whenever my kids uh, get hurt or whatever, I run over to them and I just, I don't even say anything. I just run up to them and I just go. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, I, I think out of shock, they're just like, what are you doing? And they, they stop hurting. <laughs> but I know That's what true. I'm doing, yeah. you know. In case you other don't parents know, around me yeah, know he also, <laughs> Miyagi has that, that mystical healing power. Yeah. Right. I mean, the right, guy's right. Like, uh, just, he's got it all yeah. in the package of a little old wise man. Yeah. Like, like he's like, he was the, it's the perfect look and demeanor. And, you know, because, and you guys will learn, uh, hopefully everybody here watches the Pat Morita story. Is that what it's called? <laughs> I forget the name of the story. Yes, more than Miyagi. More than Pat Miyagi. Story. More yes. than Miyagi. Um, what you guys are going to, what you guys are going to learn about <laughs> Pat Morita is that he was a stand-up comedian uh, in the, in the sixties. And, uh, you know, what was his name? Pat Morita? Uh, Pat, Pat Morita, and we'll leave it at that. Yes. You can Didn't watch the documentary a... if you want to hear any other nicknames. Yes, oh it's very leave jarring. Leave a little something. It's, it, is, it is very jarring. <laughs> leave a little something. But, uh, but yeah, so uh, this this character, like he, uh, this actor and this character that he played, uh, Pat Morita is like, he's like the perfect look, the perfect size. His the character of Miyagi is funny and he's witty. He's a smart ass. Uh, he, you know, there, there's like nothing that he can't do. You know, he knows then, all. He's got know. all the answers, and he's got this, this, this tragedy. Um, and I'm talking yeah, about the then, character. Yeah, exactly. He yeah. works in this tragic element. Yes. That you think would just stop the narrative that would kill the story, but instead, like. It's a testament probably to Pat Morita mm -hmm. and also to the writers that they were able to put that in there. And it just opened up so much more depth for the yeah. character. It ended up being the premise for one of, you know, you can tell the most personal episodes of a community. Mm -hmm. And I'm if for longtime listeners, you know, we always go back to community to say, if Dan Harmon gets it, why don't you? But this is another example of that. Uh, the character is just it, it. The Karate Kid is really the story of Miyagi, yes. if you want to break it down. And I'm not much of a fighter, but I'm willing to at least argue with you about that if you disagree. All uh, that aside, I'm glad you brought up Pat Morita because we should talk about the Pat Morita story. 
uh, we should know more about that man because he's a fascinating story. However, we've already basically butchered talking about Miyagi so far. Let's cut away. Let's let the actual director and producer of More Than Miyagi. Uh, we, we actually got to sit down and talk with uh, Kevin Derrick and Oscar Alvarez, a producer, uh, and they had uh, some fascinating things to say. Let me list them for you real quick. Oh, no. Yeah. This is this is always where I screw up. Never mind. Magic interview machine. Just take us to the interview. Meanwhile, running. Um, I guess my first question for whoever feels they got a grip on it um, would be uh, why Pat Morita, this legendary actor, has meant a lot to a lot of people. But why did you pick him to make make this project? Okay. Um, you know, we were doing a documentary back in uh, 2015. It was on Karate Master Fumi Demer. He's the guy who did all the stunts for Pat Maria, like, you know, the Karate Kid 1, 2, 3, and all the O'Hara series and stuff like that. So we wanted someone that would represent Pat and can tell us something, uh, you know, about Pat. So we went and interviewed Pat's wife. And after the interview, she was telling us all these stories about, you know, how Pat saw his father get hit by a car and his tuberculosis and termin camp and all that stuff. And that kind of stuck with me and Oscar. It's just, you know, it was, it was just stories that she said just kind of stuck with both of us. And then a year later, when the documentary came out on Netflix, she called us to, you know, congratulate us and then that's when we hit her up i said hey what do you think about doing a documentary on uh on Marita? but you know she wanted to do like a narrative feature like a biopic in the beginning and you would kind of have to you know convince her that you know let's start with a documentary and see where it goes and then maybe it'll pick up traction and then we can get funding for the feature so basically that's how that got started that's i I noticed she was like kind of the beating heart of the of the documentary. She was. Behind she was. I noticed that. She, right. You know, Pat Marita had written a, a manuscript before he passed away. He started in 1996, and he wrote like I think a hundred pages, and then someone ended up stealing like portion of the of the manuscript towards the Ooh. tail end. So we had like 45 pages or something like that of what he had written. And we kind of based it off of that. And one of his wishes, Pat, was that, you know, when this is done, if, if you know, he told everyone if he can turn it into a book or, you know, release it as a documentary or a film, that way, you know, people can understand my addiction and maybe I can help someone by, you know, by them watching this documentary or read the book. So in, in a way, we kind of fulfilled by doing this documentary. That's awesome. What? Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm kind of interested in those those pages. Like uh, that's that's a pretty rare gift to give to somebody. Is uh, you know, and for you guys to find it, is is, is there a follow up piece that that involves more of a, a exploration of those pages, or is this the finite? Well, you know what we were thinking. I told everyone, why don't we just release the manuscript? This just the way he has written it and we just include some pictures to go along with it we just release it as this so that's something that she's interested in so that's something that we might do uh you know a couple of months from now 
But yeah, there's some fascinating stories in there. I mean, he goes into detail about all the stuff that happened to him in the internment camps and how he was treated and what he did to pass time. And there's a lot of, I mean, if you're into Pat Morita, I think it's interesting. So that's something that we, we might do later. Oh, well, we're at least curious. You know, we watched the documentary and, and we're talking to you guys. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah if, that, if that gives you any gauge. We the, have a uh, flavor for Pat. Yeah. But there is, there's okay, so great. much meat in that story that I know, you know, a 90 minute documentary can't do it, but uh, you, you still tell a, right. a pretty full picture. It's, it's, it's impressive. Right. Yeah, right. I Thank you. We, we did the the first version that we did. It was actually like two and a half hours long. We had the screening before this whole COVID thing happened, and you know, people gave us notes and they said, you know, take this out, put this in, do this and do that. So that's how we cut it down to ninety minutes. But for people who are interested and they want to buy the DVD or the Blu-ray, they can go on the website and I put all those, uh, you know, twelve scenes that we cut out. So if anyone's interested, it's, it's there. I think, what would be kind of cool, I think what would be kind of cool, in my opinion, would be to do the 50-page manuscript into a docu-series, because then you can really right, dive right. into it. Absolutely, yeah. yeah they're, they're certainly having a day. Uh, I would still be looking into it if I were you guys, but you shouldn't take my advice. <laughs> I think we are. <laughs> so most, a lot of documentaries uh, set out to tell one story like that you have a direction when they start and end up somewhere else by the end of it. Did your, did your idea change at all or evolve over the course of filming it or putting it together? Oscar, you want to take this one? Yeah. I mean, I'll start, but then I'll, I'll pass it off okay. to Kevin just because he's the director on it. But yeah, I would definitely say just from our experience, not only doing this documentary, but the real Miyagi and even the one previous, you know, we're like detectives when your filmmakers doing a documentary because you're just wanting to make sure that you're really telling the story correctly, that no uh, information gets misconstrued and so forth. So, um, yeah, I, as far as the direction of it, I think we had an idea of how it was going to go. But, you know, what was the driving force? You know, it just it just depended on once we had all the interviews down, who we were going to talk to, who knew Pat the most and so forth of uh, the people that we interviewed. Obviously there's so many people like Hillary Swank that we wanted to be a part of it, but due to her uh, busy schedule and conflicts, and that's always the case. It's like scheduling is the most difficult thing. And then as you progress and you're deep into shooting and you have all these interviews, then you start, you know, really molding the story and so forth. As you said, it was like, aside from Pat, who was narrating some of the stuff that we had from another interview, it was like Evelyn knew Pat the most, and it was like, let's go through it, you know, all together. But, yeah, it definitely, I'm going to leave it from Kevin here. Did it shift? Yeah, I think it did shift as far as yes, how it was yes. going. Right. I, I thought I was going to be able to tell the story through, you know, the interviews that we did with all these people. But the more interviews that we did, I realized, you know, the people who are still alive, obviously, his friends and stuff, they just know him more as a professional of Pat, not, not personal. So it was very hard for me to, to you know, to get stories from him, from him earlier, you know, when he and all that stuff. 
So that's when we just had to resort to like audio clips. And I was kind of struggling throughout this whole thing to, to be able to find a narrative that people can understand very easily. So that's when we started doing some research and we found some audio clips and Evelyn had a lot of footage and we managed to be able to tell, you know, his beginning, uh, the, you know, the first 20 minutes. But that was like the, the struggle that I had. Well, did, uh, did, I'm curious, uh, I hope this comes out right, but the, uh, the, the big explosion in popularity with the Cobra Kai series starting, you know, a couple years ago when it was on YouTube and then really getting big on Netflix, uh, mm-hmm. was that, do you, is that helpful for you? Do you feel like that's going to build your audience? Because a lot of kids who are watching us with their parents are like, there's one person missing. Right, right. You know, uh, this all happened by accident. I mean, when we sh- when we started shooting, it was 2016, and uh, Cobra Kai wasn't anywhere to be found. They shot it like a year later. But it's just everything just worked out, That you know, especially season three. that they, uh, When we were talking to Ralph, he said it's very important for him to incorporate Pat's spirit throughout the whole uh, Miyagi series. So it, it, it is beneficial for us. The people who are in our age range, you know, 40s and stuff, they already know about that. But because of Cobra Kai, now people that are in their teens and 20s get to know, you know, who Pat is. So it kind of, the timing for us was was perfect with this documentary and the time that we released it. And it just all happened by uh, accident. So so if anything, you you inspired Oscar and Billy. I mean, um, uh, Ralph and Billy to do Cobra Kai. I don't know about well, that. Well, no. no. yeah, I don't, I don't want to know because I think. Sorry, if I sorry for interrupting, Kevin. I think when we when we were interviewing uh, Billy Zapka, he he told us they were in the works of something special. He didn't say what it was. We interviewed him, and then so they were already in the works with it. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to add: Do I think it's perfect timing? Sure, it is. I think it definitely helps because it's relighting that flame of this amazing movie and everyone's coming out and it's not only it's our generation who was raised with the whole karate kid franchise and you know what that brought and obviously it's a timeless topic which is about bullying and this and that and then you come into this generation and that's why i think it's doing so well because they the show's done so well to capture the new generation as well as our generation so I mean, at the end of the day, is it time? Is it perfect timing? Yes. Did Cobra Kai, I think, help? Yes. But one thing that I don't, I don't, I also want to say is, Cobra Kai wouldn't exist if it wasn't for right. the original Karate Kid, for those characters that Robert Mark came and the writer wrote, Mr. Miyagi, Danielson. So that's the big deal. And I'm happy, and I think the producers of Cobra Kai did an amazing job that they actually put in this season. Uh, when they when Ralph goes back to Okinawa, and that was incredible, and I think they did a great job with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and and if you are still fishing for demographic, I'm I'm in my 40s. I was a huge Karate Kid fan when it came out, uh, but watching your documentary is the first I knew about pretty much any of his personal demons. First time I ever th- saw that third dimension to the man. So I appreciate what that you makes did. two of us. That yeah, cool. yeah. That's how I felt when we read that manuscript. Like, I remember Pat not only from 
Happy Days, but I mean, excuse me, not only from Karate Kid, but also Happy Days. And then I didn't, I knew he kind of did some stand-up, but I wasn't sure. And then when I learned that, but then all these other things that we started learning about the spinal tuberculosis and the, the dad and what happened to him and this and that and the internment, I was like blown away by that. And that was the thing where, you, you know, I was like, wow. And then with the whole drinking thing, that hit home to me because I had an uncle that lived with me that, you know, had suffered from that. So I was like, wow, like, we have to do this. We have to do this. We have to tell the story. And I think, as Kevin said, when we were doing this, like, he was a pioneer. The stuff that he was doing back then, I mean, he kind of paved the way for Asian-American actors, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think he's a pioneer for his time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I'm actually old enough to remember him on uh, Sanford and Son. But um, I was really... I really thought those clips of him doing the stand-up were pretty amazing and how I was kind of taken by it, it. It can't be easy to come out of an internment camp and have to come up there and do that, that, uh, well, I guess he's not doing yellow face, but that voice and that accent and, and you know, the whole hip nip bit. Right. Yeah. So do you, do you think, um, do you guys think after all your research that, um, is there anything you know, as it comes out in the show that he dies, eventually passes away from the alcoholism. Do you think that that was ultimately his fate or, or was there anything he could have done differently to maybe not do that? Or was that going to happen no matter what, just a matter of time? No, you know, he, he was drinking since he was uh, 12 years old. He, he, in the manuscript, he's written that his father and his uncle were making bootleg sake and, you know, everyone was drinking. So... <laughs> So, you know, and he tried several times to quit, but the last time that, you know, he was sober for three months uh, was the last year of his life. And then he ended up getting the stand-up job in one of the Vegas uh, hotels, and he was like 10 feet away from a bar. And, you know, it's when you're an alcoholic and you have alcohol in front of you while you're working, mm-hmm. you know, and then he started drinking again, and that's when he, you know, relapsed and it went downhill from there. The last year of his life was probably the worst and that right. led to his demise you know huh. yeah i mean that makes it i mean and especially in that environment where maybe you feel you need the need that to be a little loose or to do your job better or you know that helps right helps form. i mean i certainly can't right. speak for only for myself <laughs> but yeah i get <laughs> right. it right yeah um did you guys have any problems uh you mentioned hillary swank but was most of his coast Oscar's pretty amiable to being involved. You know, Oscar is the one who's responsible for you know uh, getting all the talent and emailing and, uh, and all that stuff. So, Oscar, you, you can talk about that if you want. Yeah, I mean, it's just that. Uh, it, sorry, give me one second. It, it's that. It's the. It has to do with scheduling. It's these actors, you know, that obviously Pat worked with some. Uh, really great people and they have super busy schedules so it's a matter of you know a lot of them wanted to do it you know that they were like oh my gosh this is great that you're doing this and they just we just couldn't make it work like it just wouldn't work because they were working from one job to the next and and i mean there wasn't anyone that was just like no i'm not going to be a part of it everyone was like yes this is great oh my gosh like it's it's amazing that you guys are doing this and, and I, I thought the same thing. I was like, how could no one have told the story? Like, what, you know, so it's just a difficult thing. It's just really scheduling. I wish I had more things to say 
as far as that, but it, it, it's always a schedule issue. That's it, mm-hmm. plain and simple. Right, right. Well, you jumped a lot of a lot of schedule hurdles, then it looks like because you you guys put yeah. together a great roster. Yeah, I'll try to. I mean, there, there, yeah, there's a handful of people that we wish we'd have gotten, but for sure, I, I'm, I'm happy with who was able to participate. Do you guys mind touching on real quick uh, how you got this movie financed? Did you crowdsource it or did you shop it around once it? What yeah, you know, when we started, we did an Indiegogo campaign and then we did uh, a crowd uh, kickstart, one of those, I don't remember. We did two of them and we couldn't really. Find that we couldn't get raised enough money to do it, so we ended up putting it on our credit cards and stuff. And then <laughs> at the tail end, like last year, um, Oscar found this uh, these two people that ended up financing the the rest of the film, Cindy and Greg uh, Lau. So uh, all of the films that we've done, all the documentaries that we've done, we've always started, you know, uh, using our own money, and then somehow towards the very end, someone comes in that's interested, that, that likes to help us out. That's the reason that personally I like doing documentaries because you can come up with a concept, any idea, and then you can just start shooting it, you know, tomorrow. But you know, with features, is one that you need like multi-million dollars, and it's a little bit harder to raise the money. So, yeah, I think, the, like Kevin said, just helping us get that little bit of money coming in it was just like okay let's do this and we're excited about doing it and we start rounding people we you shoot a couple of really great interviews and then you you have that to showcase to the investor um and that's what we did you know finally we ended up talking to greg and cindy Lai, and they were like oh my god this is wonderful and that's what happened even to our previous project and um it, that i think i think that that way of operating for this as kevin mentioned just works really well and then people start seeing wow i can see where you guys are going with it and so forth mm-hmm. and we want to be a part of it and here you go mm-hmm. right well you guys uh you, you guys are pretty good at telling a story that feels very genuine um so uh, i don't know if you were thinking about moving to features but you're doing fine in docs well done <laughs> oh thanks thanks thank you yeah we that, are that's all kevin that's all features. kevin <laughs> oh thanks no it's a teamwork well, I, I know you guys are busy. I, I will try to bring this guy in for a landing for you real quick here. Um, one last question as we uh, show our way out the door. Uh, Kevin and Oscar, when you guys get up early on Saturday morning to watch your cartoons, what is your favorite bowl of Saturday morning cereal? Uh, Lucky Charms, Cocoa Pops, Frost, <laughs> Frosted Flakes for me. <laughs> well, technically, there's I'm no wrong lucky. answer, but the right answer should have marshmallows in it. So, lucky charms. <laughs> right, I, was just, hey, I was just going to say lucky, lucky charms. Right. All right, that I can accept that one. <laughs> That's good. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you, first of all, for the documentary. Thank you, Thank you for talking to us. Uh, and uh, double check me. I believe I'm correct. This is this is out now. It's it came out February 5th. Uh, you can get it on Apple. You can probably get it through your Voodoo's, your Hulu's, your YouTube's. Can I listen? Yeah, it for Amazon, you? Google Play, YouTube, iTunes, and um, Apple TV for now, and then eventually it's going to come out um, more places. Right, and it's, video, it's video, video on worldwide. demand right now. Yeah. Yep. Perfect. Right. If someone is like in another country, they can watch it on Vizzy. They can go on our website. It has all the links on there. Uh, more than me, and, 
Right. And then right. you can and get the three-hour super director cut from the website. Yeah, yeah, you can. <laughs> yes, right. okay. you you can get a Blu-ray and a DVD. That's correct. Nice, awesome. Nice. Well, good luck, guys. Thank you. I'm giving it my right. stamp of approval for whatever that matters. Uh, now get back to work on the next thing you're doing. Come on. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for the kind words. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Bye You know, nothing says Karate Kid like a bunch of 80s synth and, well, karate I guess kid. a chorus just saying Karate Kid over and over again. <laughs> yeah, this one you really have to watch. There's a lot going on. <laughs> it's like an 80s version of Batman, right? <laughs> it, it's like this like really good intro but with a really horrible song. So, yeah, that's yeah. that's the uh, the intro to the Karate Kid cartoon. The Saturday I presume because cartoon. it didn't ring any bells musically. <laughs> Karate Kid, do 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 God, that was good. Yeah. Yes, so yes, that it. was a Saturday morning cartoon. Which yeah, and I you do knew remember. you made it as a cultural phenomenon in the '80s if you had your own Saturday morning cartoon. So, I guess more than anything, that's a feather in their cap. Well, and others that had this honor include Hulk Hogan, Mr. T, Punky Brewster, Gary uh, Coleman, Gary Coleman. I think you're just making things up. Mm-mm. Ricky Schroeder, did he have he one? Play, he played an angel. I don't know oh, if Ricky okay. Schroeder ever did. <laughs> but yes, it was a big deal uh, to have your own Saturday morning cartoon. And uh, obviously, yep. it went along with the whole marketing package with action figures, trading mm-hmm. cards, all the big stuff. Uh, Rambo had damn, a Saturday morning cartoon. Karate Kid did it. Well, anyway, hey, well, welcome back, everybody. Once again, uh, our thanks to uh, director Kevin Derrick, producer Oscar Alvarez. Uh, good guys. Good guys. Fun good guys. guys. Great interview uh, and a great subject. I mean, mm. I, I like talking to people who make documentaries because they make the most, like, intimate, personal projects. Like, nobody ever makes a documentary because they're like, oh, I can work with this script. They're like, oh, I, I'll make this documentary because I have a personal vested interest in telling this story. So they did a good job. Check it out. You can uh, you can rent it anywhere by the time you're hearing this, uh, meaning like online. It's Apple on TV, Amazon Prime Amazon, to like for like five bucks. Google Play, YouTube. You can get it. Uh, and you'll learn a lot more about our friend Pat Morita, who once again plays Miyagi. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, complicated uh, character. 
Yeah, uh, he's a he's a complicated character uh, being played by a very complicated man too, and Amen the, to that. the the moment that that connects both the character and the actor is of course the tragic story of Miyagi and his while he was in he was in battle during World War II fighting Nazis. His young wife was in a concentration camp, and while giving birth, uh, nobody helps her. She has a complication, and she and the baby dies. And that's the backstory of Miyagi. And you know he Though was not a spoilers. true character. Spoilers. That story very well may be true. Uh, yes. Not the best chapter in America's history in World War II. But as it turns out, uh, I'm sure you guys could you guys know where I'm going with this. <laughs> that uh, Pat Morita's family and he himself actually served time in a Japanese concentration camp here in the here in the famous and fr- and freedom loving United States. <laughs> yeah, served time. That, uh, that almost seems like uh, putting it mildly. Yes, that's. Uh... Oh god! They, they were more tragic, guests, tragic guests of the government. Yeah. One of those things, yeah, where where the life imitates art. Uh, it maybe helped him get the part. They, they talk about it in the movie, but the fact that he had to go back and revisit those demons for that for that character mm-hmm. maybe is what made it just so. I mean, I remember being touched by that as a kid. Yeah, and I was not a very observant child. Well, I think a a real important part of that scene is that you see this guy, and again, he is all wise. He can kick anybody's ass. Uh, tough, uh, served in combat, all all that. But you actually see him really break down and cry, and just it just all comes apart for him. And you actually start to understand that the character of Miyagi just never got the opportunity to be a father. And all of a sudden you kind of see why he's so drawn to Daniel who doesn't have a father and how close that those two become, uh, that, that scene is so important. And I watched karate kid after I saw this documentary and having learned that about Pat, uh, and watching that scene, it, it's a Again, whole other you level. You, yeah, you, yeah. Afterwards. You're familiar with the movie, okay? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, just having the documentary fresh in my head, I went back and watched Karate Kid, and that that scene is just so much more powerful because you can just you can just see this 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 performance coming out of this actor who again was a stand up comedian, was always kind of willing to be the the punchline, you know. Yeah, uh, his his yeah. heritage, his culture. Right. I mean, the guy was born and raised in the U.S. He did not have the accent you hear in the movie. Right. He doesn't speak. Yeah. I, th- I think his parents did clearly, but um, yeah. It's uh, well. I guess, I don't want to make this a uh, what the hell's wrong with America podcast. There's enough of those out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, suffice to say, Pat Morita was really dealt a shitty hand. Yeah, and he did, he made, he really reached a level of greatness that we still celebrate 
and appreciate now. I, I think his ability to come out of that, uh, it's a real, it is a triumph of the human spirit, as cheesy as that sounds, right? I mean, part of right. me for saying right. you mean right that does, does sound, sound cheesy. Yes. You're right. That does sound pretty cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. It also sounds <laughs> accurate here. I mean, the guy. Uh, I mean, if you see the documentary, you know the whole story. He he made limited lemonade out of lemons. Uh, there, everyone has their demons. Some of some people can't get away from them. Uh, and and that may be the case with Pat Morita. But before he left us too soon, he also gave us the character of Miyagi, yeah. which is just a personification for something that everybody who is lacking something craves is that leadership, that compassionate, easy mentorship that also is so capable. You know, nobody wants to have to follow... Uh, sensei crease yeah they want a sensei miyagi who can throat punch a sensei crease <laughs> put his head through a fucking car window if instead and yeah. choose not to yeah i mean that's that's the ideal that's the goal that's the utopia uh so it speaks to something pretty basic uh in that everyone who is young wants that father figure who is just a superhero but gentle, compassionate. Uh, uh, and for God's sake, that's why we, we use the word Miyagi. Yeah. Like he's the Miyagi of this. He's the Miyagi of that. Uh, and hopefully, I don't know about you guys, but I know there are people in my life who consider me the Miyagi of this or that. <laughs> Yeah, They're I doubt it. extremely young. <laughs> They're related by blood, and they don't You're know any better. at least the Miyagi of this conversation. That's um, the least uh, I Mark can Mark and I were talking be. off mic. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, my God, I think you said it great. I mean, <laughs> this guy was, uh, you know, I think we all kind of first saw him, because I used to watch Happy Days. You know, he was he was that guy. He was Arnold on on happy days and then you see him in this in this role and yeah yeah shay he brings all of that to this role and he creates this thing that's just so much bigger than any one person could ever be you know his achievement is grand you know it's it is immortal what he did uh and and like thoughts on miyagi On Miyagi, well, yeah, that character, like I said, it's it, as as a lot of pop culture from the '80s is uh, part of my DNA. Like I said, I to this day, like with my kids, I do the hand thing, and as a career bartender, whenever I'm training somebody, you know, I, I'm teaching them repetitive moves, like just in the fashion of wax on, wax off, to teach them to be. In, <laughs> And you know he's really teaching them stock the book of the five light, rings. Stock bar, Bud Light, stock Coors Light, you know, stock or, Bud Light. You know, you know, pour pour one ounce, pour one ounce. When you're bored, just do something that is going to help you when it's busy, right? I mean, so you don't have to think about it. And uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, he's definitely yeah. It, it, that character has definitely influenced my entire life yeah. from the moment yeah. I saw that. You know, like I said, we were talking about the next day at school. And it still rings, all his tricks still ring true. Yeah. yeah. It, it's times like this, I wish 
I knew my Joseph Campbell better because mm. I bet Miyagi fills one of those archetypes. I just don't know what. Well, but uh, hot damn, it's something yeah. everybody craves, and he personified that for a whole generation. So hats off to Miyagi. Hats off to uh, Sensei Shojun Miyagi. Hats off to <laughs> Pat Morita. Oh, uh, and and I guess hats off to whoever's running the new Cobra Kai and is making sure it's hewing so close to that same spirit that I loved when I saw the movie. Yeah, they and the they, second one they, and mostly they the clearly one. get it. They they clearly get this character uh, because it just it just permeates throughout the whole Cobra Kai series. Miyagi lives on in that world stronger than anything. And uh, my bold prediction for season four is that that becomes even more evident. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. In fact, you might even see uh, Pat Morita and Tupac get together, yeah, ghost hologram, it out. duke it out for the finale <laughs> of season four. You heard it from Marky first, everybody. Uh, and I think at this point, if you don't get our feeling on what Miyagi meant to us growing up, well, there's nothing else we can do about that. You should have grown up with us. And on that note, uh, what do you guys think? Is that about enough of this? It's that's like enough. we should say that's enough of this. <laughs> now we know. And knowing is half the battle. Oh, this is enough of this. called a short sword. They got the long, big samurai sword, right? That Mifune and all these guys. I was in a tournament, or watching a tournament in Japan recently, where uh, these guys that did the short sword demonstration was so fascinating. They awarded three prizes. I went up to the guy that won the third prize, and I said, excuse me, sir, but what did you do to win third prize in the short sword? He said, very simple. You see a uh, fry on the wall? Watch. And the fly dropped dead. Two pieces. One flew over here, one flew over there. I said, oh, my goodness, this is something else. I went up to the second guy, right? The guy who won second prize. I said, and what did you do, sir, to win your prize? He said, see the fly on the wall? He talked just like Buddy Hackett. See the fly on the wall? Watch. Four pieces. Two flew over there, one flew this way, and the other flew, they were gone, dead. Now I'm going, oh boy, what did the grand prize winner do to win his award? I went up to the guy who won the grand prize, I said, please, sir, what did you do to win grand prize short sword demonstration? He said, you'll see the fry on the wall over there. They all talk like Buddy Hackett. <laughs> see that fry? He said, watch. <laughs> The fly's still going around. I say, big deal, the fly's still flying. He said, yes, but that fry will never have children again. 